Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. It is a late night. I am just overloaded with some things that I know I'll forget. So I wanted to get this podcast out there and I uh, hope you don't mind a little bit of a shorter podcast. I know some of you won't. Um, I want to thank you before we get started, uh, just for all the, the patrons, uh, for those who um, even just have sent me um, support and praying for me. I, I just want to say I appreciate that so much. It, it did help me, it, um, especially last week with the whole Keller piece. I mean, that uh, it probably cost me about 400 bucks to get all the information I needed to, to buy books and, and his sermon archive just to do the research for that. Probably took me minimum 40 hours, maybe as probably 50 or 60, but I wasn't keeping track. Um, so, so, so what you're doing is helping me. It, it does count for something. And, uh, and, and so just want to thank you, uh, before I do anything else in this podcast. Um, the topic for this podcast is the blame it, claim it gospel. Yes. Not, not the name it, claim it gospel, which you might be familiar with, but the blame it, claim it gospel. And I know a lot of conservative Christians, they'll fight tooth and nail, uh, to, expose the name it claim it gospel like the benny hins the creflo dollars but there's another gospel that is just as dangerous and unfortunately i don't see the pushback um even the people who are fighting it don't seem to fight it sometimes as hard as they will the name it claim it gospel and so i'm gonna describe both of those to you um i wanted to respond real quick to a few people who reached out to me they said john why didn't you uh in your last podcast really go after Tim Keller harder. And, and what I wanted to say to that is that, um, number one, I can't help who I am. I was just glad, maybe my standards are low. I was just glad that Tim Keller interacted with me, uh, even though he did accuse me essentially of forwarding a false dichotomy and he strawmanned me. That's okay. Um, I was just glad that he interacted. But um, so <laughs> one of the things I've noticed for years in studying history is that uh, the left loves to define terms, change the meanings of terms, create new terms. Uh, they love to take errors of history and they want to put them under the microscope and they want to, usually they nitpick and they emphasize certain things and leave out other things that aren't convenient for their narrative. And, we, and we've seen that. We saw that with uh, the Phil Vischer video and Eric Mason's book and Jamar Tisby. And I, I mean, they all do pretty much the same thing. And and, and, but they're, they're not the ones doing this. They learn this. I mean, this stuff has been around. This, this is secular stuff. This is not, this is the Howard Zinn approach. This is the Eric Foner stuff. Uh, you know, th this isn't new. And, and that's part of, I think, um, from my vantage point, what I've seen, because I've read uh, a lot of uh, historians, is it's nothing new for me. But for a lot of us uh, that are not, have not read those things, it is new. We, we just didn't see this in the church. I don't know why this is all of a sudden a theological issue. And so, um, it, it is because it's part of it's part of the neo-Marxist push that's been going on in universities. It's been alive and well there. Now it's in seminaries and now it's in the greater church because pastors learn from seminary and then they go out to churches. So um, so here's what I wanted to say about this. And this is related to the Keller piece that I wrote. Uh, I was intending on not just um, I, I didn't want to do it the way the leftists do it, where they misrepresent. Uh, I wanted to accurately portray Tim Keller, but I wanted us to understand him well, as, as accurately as we can, as well as we can. I want us to have a grasp on who Tim Keller is, uh, his biography. Um, where did he get these ideas from? Uh, he didn't pull them out of the Bible. <laughs> That's pretty clear. He didn't just, you know, he was studying the Bible one day and, and he figured out that, huh, you know, this is what justice means. No, he, he got these from other places. And so he admits a lot of this in a lot of his, his sermons and his writings. And, and so I was just pulling them out. And everything is, is primary sourced. It is, uh, I mean, it's, it's Keller's in his own words. And that's what I was intending. So I think that's the first step to responding to some of this, in my mind sometimes, is trying to understand who we're dealing with. And, uh, or at least it, it benefits us. And, and so that's what I wanted to do. And, and like I said, the leftists, they do this wrong. They do this in a, in a very disingenuous way, but this is what they do. Uh, in fact, you know, they, they go the extra step of ad hominem. You know, that's, that's their whole argument sometimes. And, and I don't want to do that. I want to understand, though, the, the, the person we're dealing with. And so we'll do more on Keller. We'll respond to some of, uh, do some apologetics responding to some of his assertions, um, which I did in the last episode to some extent. But, but the question that seems to persist is, well, is he a heretic? And, and this is, or is he a Christian? Some people ask. And, and this is what I want to say. The word heresy means schism. It means sect. It means um, it's a different group. And I do believe 
Tim Keller is part of a different group, and we're seeing that different group really split split away and form. And um, I mean, it, it is different. Now, is he a Joseph Smith? Well, it's, you know, his errors aren't as obvious as Joseph Smith, but does that mean he's less of a heretic? Uh, not, I mean, not necessarily. Um, yeah, Joseph Smith's ideas were obviously wrong. Tim Keller's are not obviously wrong to someone who's not studying him deeply. But when you really put him under the microscope in his teachings, uh, what you'll find is his gospel is, is different than the one that we preach, at least in some points. Now, you'll find some statements from him that sound very orthodox, but then you'll find statements from him, it's not the same gospel. And, and you would expect that. If he conflates mercy and justice, then that's pretty, that's part of the, DNA of the gospel. You need to understand mercy. God's pouring out his mercy on us through Jesus Christ because Christ took the justice we deserve for breaking God's law. You can't separate those two and call justice mercy and still have the same gospel if you're going to be consistent, at least. And hopefully Tim Keller's not as consistent. But sometimes he makes statements that it just makes me wonder. Um, one of the statements, I even included this uh, in the piece, is he said the whole purpose of the salvation is to cleanse and purify this material world. And I listened to the speech he said it in, said it to some businessmen in New York City. That's a weird, <laughs> the whole purpose of salvation is to cleanse and purify this material world? What? Um, th th that seems like maybe people who are obeying God's law because they have a new heart and they love God and they've been saved are going to try to... <laughs> take care of their stuff because they know that it matters and God you know, wants them to be a good steward as part of the dominion mandate. But the dominion mandate and the gospel aren't the same thing. And Keller seems to conflate those two an awful lot uh, in, in many of his writings. So uh, all that to say, is Tim Keller saved or not saved? I don't think the, um, the emphasis of the New Testament is on that question, whether someone's going to heaven or not. I mean, I think the emphasis is on, are they bringing a false teaching? Are they a false teacher? Is Tim Keller a false teacher? To some extent, I think he is. I find false teaching in, in his writings. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. He seems to try to diminish hell, to try to diminish sin. And, uh, and then he conflates mercy and justice. And for, for me, that's enough. Um, because it, when you start taking works and you start taking grace and you start... Um, you start, you start mixing those things, uh, grace and, and works, then it, it's not the same thing. And trying to then attach the gospel to various works is very problematic, I will say. It, it winds you up in uh, popeless Catholicism oftentimes. Or, you know, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe conservative even, well, they're not even conservative evangelicals. I don't even know what to call them. Uh, progressive evangelicals? I I don't even know if evangelical has a meaning anymore, but the people who follow Keller, maybe they do have a pope. I mean, that's how some people treat him, that he is like a pope. And um, so um, I don't want you treating me that way. <laughs> and, and that's another thing I wanted to address real quick. Some people uh, who listened to last episode thought that I was th going to throw in the towel soon or something. No, I, I just wanted to tell you guys that I'm not interested in the platform Keller has. So it was gracious of him to interact with me. I'm a little guy. Uh, I went to seminary and I got trained to be a pastor and someday that's what I want to do. I don't want to do this kind of thing forever, but for now, this is important. So you're not getting rid of me anytime soon. Don't worry about that. And, uh, you know, when I, I'm sure, um, if we still have the freedom to, to do these kinds of things, um, cause I might be just shut down by YouTube. We'll see. Um, then, uh, yeah, I'll try to put whatever I can online as I can do it. But but that's not, this is not the goal of my life, it, to build a platform, to get, uh, you know, book deals and, and people's approval. No, that, that's just, I'm not impressed with that stuff. That's what I was trying to tell you guys. Uh, and maybe I conveyed it very poorly, but uh, not throwing in the towel, not yet. My, my goal is to equip you guys as best as I can to, to fight this. And, uh, and so that's what I'm doing. And um, so uh, with that being said, uh, how's that for an introduction? Um, not quitting. Thank you for your support. And I wanted to show you a resource here. Uh, this is a resource that uh, I bought recently called Social Justice in the Christian Church by Ronald Nash. And I haven't read the whole thing yet. I've been thumbing through it. And um, it's a little dated, I'll be honest. It's from uh, uh, 19, I want to say 80-something. Looks like the early 80s. Uh, but it, it really does, you know, it's, it's pre-critical race theory and intersectionality, but 
honestly, those ideas, I mean, we make a big deal, I think, about them now because of the Resolution 9 thing. Those ideas are just extension of neo-Marxism. It's not in postmodernism. They're not, um, they were around before the terms were coined, okay, to put it that way. They've, there's been different developments, and there's, and there's, there's nerds who want to get into the specifics and, you know, well, that's not critical race theory because it doesn't contain this element. Or To, to me, look, the, the errors are that they have histories. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. So, yes, different terminology, different way things are packaged. I get it. But um, at the end of the day, it's, it's a reconfiguration of Marxism along postmodern lines, power relationships instead of economic disparities alone. Uh, and complicated power relationship dynamics, etc. So I think this is sufficient. If, if you understand, I mean, I tell people, read the primary sources. Go read Richard Delgado's Critical Race Theory. You'll understand it. You don't need really anything other than that, uh, I don't think, unless you're going to really be doing apologetics, you know, with this area, which, I mean, I don't know why you would. I mean, it's, it's pretty basic stuff, in my opinion. Sounds really complicated. It's, it's, it's not when you really start looking into it. And then um, I think get this book. Uh, it's a good resource. So uh, there's some other resources I know that are coming out uh, that I have PDFs of. Uh, one I endorse that's coming out in September. And then my book, which is more of a historical treatment, is going to be coming out soon. So uh, I will announce that as we get closer. But uh, yeah, just wanted to tell you about those resources to help you out. Um, I want to talk about Falwell, Jerry Falwell, uh, right before we get to the main uh, course here, which is the, an Eric Mason sermon I listened to. Uh, that's the blame it claim it gospel which we will talk about shortly but i want to talk about jerry falwell uh because this has been trending today and i got into some discussions about it um on on twitter and i think for those who are enemies of evangelical christianity especially political enemies in the united states they really want to crown jerry falwell the king of evangelicalism jerry falwell jr they know he's got issues. Uh, he's said things over the years that have uh, just not been too smart sometimes. And I think that's, you know, they, they've wanted something like this for a long time. They've been chomping at the bit for it. And, uh, you know, it, it's sad. One of the verses that I kept thinking was uh, from 1 Peter 3.15. It says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And there's a lot of foolish men right now who are not silenced because of um, the fact that Jerry Fall Jr. did not do what's right. And he hasn't for, um, for a while, according to his own admission this morning. And, and so there's a few things I wanted to say uh, because I, there's a lot being said right now, especially online, and how do you deal with this? How do you deal with when a leader falls, an evangelical leader especially? And I want to point out a few things uh, because th those who are <laughs> familiar with enough with Liberty University, they, they know, I know, these are not new allegations. Um, nothing has really come out that I haven't to some extent, uh, at least from what Falwell wrote, uh, that I haven't already heard. Um, it's just that it wasn't verified that, that, uh, there was a relationship between his wife and this, this pool boy, as they call him. And, and so this isn't a shock to me. Um, you know, I, I've seen Jerry Falwell say some things over the last year, especially, but, but not just this last year before that, that have led me to wonder sometimes if he, um, might have a problem with alcohol, and certainly the last uh, picture that he posted seems to suggest that he has some kind of affinity for it. Uh, and, and you know, he is head of a school that has a policy where you're not supposed to have alcohol, so it's it, it, it does not come off well. <laughs> it didn't come off well when he posted uh, the last picture that that he posted just for a few minutes and then deleted it. Um, but this isn't something that's a shock, and. and I don't think that a lot of evangelicals really look to Jerry Falwell Jr. for moral clarity or political advice in general. Um, now, Twitter is definitely more of a leftist venue, but even on Twitter, 
you know, there, there's enough conservatives there that, that he should be getting more traction than he usually gets. And the fact is, he does not get a lot of traction on Twitter. Uh, he's, I don't sense that he is well, he has been well liked by evangelicals in general for a long time, as far as uh, being a moral compass. <laughs> and so, um, so I, I think when, when you hear things like, you know, evangelicals went for Trump because of Jerry Falwell, and now that he's fallen, you know, what's going to happen? I don't think much is going to happen. I don't think a lot of evangelicals are thinking, well, I don't know, Trump or Hillary? Well, Jerry Falwell Jr. endorsed Trump. I guess I'm going to vote for Trump. No, I, I don't think that that took place. So I think there's there's a lot of um, a lot of hopes and dreams of progressives that are riding on this being a big deal uh, for the election, and which is probably part of the reason it's coming out. But I don't buy that. So I don't know if that gives you any hope, but um, for what it's worth, I, I don't think that he was such a role model to evangelicals at all. And so um, does that mean it's not a big deal? No, it is a big deal. It's sad is what it is because his father uh, was a committed Christian from what I know. He did build Liberty University up. And uh, and this is a story that I'm all too familiar with because I've seen it where um, – you know, the sons and daughters sometimes, the children of, of pastors, uh, men of great faith sometimes will end up straying from that faith, or it was never really their faith. They just grew up in the culture of it. And it's very possible that Jerry Falwell uh, does not know the Lord. I don't know. I mean, I just had this whole discussion on, you know, that's not really, in the New Testament, that's not the emphasis. Does someone know the Lord or not? Um, uh, when it comes to false teaching, though, and I don't think Jerry Falwell Jr., he's not a pastor. He never bought, brought a false teaching uh, that I'm aware of. Um, he, he did take the convocations that were more spiritual, and he made them more political. He did things like that, but that's not a false teaching. So uh, his emphasis was certainly not uh, necessarily on the gospel. I never got that impression from him. Um, I think most of the people at Liberty University didn't get that impression from him. His emphasis was more political. In fact, I don't remember Jerry Falwell ever saying he was saved. Now, he probably did somewhere. He, he would have had to make some profession probably to stand in his dad's shadow and, and take the reins of Liberty University, but I don't remember him giving a testimony ever. And so all that to say... Um, what do you do in this situation? I think you pray. This isn't like the social justice debate where you have one side defending to the teeth <laughs> false teachings, people forwarding false teachings. Um, you know, we're trying to make the case that these are bad. These are false teachings. This is something that no one's defending. Everyone knows it's bad, just about. I mean, I haven't seen anyone defending it. Uh, we, we can all see that um, Jerry Falwell has admitted that some of, that some of the things that he's done. I don't take this quote-unquote pool boy, what, I forget his name, but what, what he's saying about the events, I, I don't necessarily know if what he's saying is accurate or not. I'm sure more will come out in time, but this is embarrassing for them. And I, and I know, you know, I, I was raised in a pastor's uh, family. I'm the oldest. Um, I have uh, some brothers, and, you know, we... Um, we were certainly raised in a shadow, and I can't even comprehend what the shadow of a Jerry Falwell would look like to be raised in, in the home of Jerry Falwell. Uh, so, so when you have doubts or you do something wrong or you don't really believe Christianity, those kinds of things, there's a pressure when you're raised with a man who's looked upon as a spiritual leader to toe the line, to not, not jeopardize that. You don't want to embarrass him. You don't want to... Uh, you want to meet other people's expectations because they think you're a great kid. Maybe Jerry Falwell Jr. is one of those guys. I've wondered that for a while, whether he was just playing along and cultural Christianity and, you know, he was raised in this bubble and, you know, and now here's where he is. I mean, this may be an opportunity that the Lord can work in his life and his wife's life. And maybe this young man, oh, he was a young man, his <laughs> life. And, and maybe he can bring salvation if there isn't. Or, or if there is, maybe, maybe this is the time for some, some serious restoration and some serious repentance. And, and that's, I think, the, the tone that we should set. And when the world rages against these things, um, don't be surprised. <laughs> They're going to do it anyway. This just gives them an opportunity. And, and you can gently just say, well, this isn't, this isn't the example Jesus set for us. you know. But, but thank God that for his grace and mercy. And hey, have you, have you ever sinned? Have you ever broken God's law? You're upset that Jerry Fowell's broken God's law. Well, good. I'm glad you care about God's law. So what about you? 
Um, I mean, that's kind of how you can turn it back if you want to, but, but, uh, but I don't think that's the point. I think most of the people that are criticizing him right now are doing it for political reasons. Um, but I don't think it'll change much politically. So that's my analysis of that. And, uh, and my encouragement to you, let's pray. I've been praying for him today and his wife, I feel so bad for his wife, even though I, I realize they, yeah, they brought this on themselves, but that's, that's sin. I brought some things on myself in my life, and um, I I don't know what it is. I have it's it's not because of his political stance. I'll tell you that he's done some political things. He endorsed a candidate. I think it was last year. I was like, how in the world can he endorse this guy? Uh, he's a Republican candidate, but he was performing gay weddings, and I just I was scratching my head. I I, I wouldn't say I could tell you more stories, but I, I you know. I'm, I'm not in Jerry Falwell's camp. I was very critical of Jerry Falwell, actually, uh, in 2016, um, when he immediately endorsed Trump and then took the picture with the Playboy behind him. And, you know, I'm like, what are you, you're trying to, you know, represent the biggest Christian university. And so anyway, I, I'm not doing this for political reasons. I'm not defending his sin at all. Uh, I, I just wanted to convey that I do have some compassion here um, that uh, I want to see him uh, repent and be restored. Uh, maybe not to, to be a president of, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I've heard he stepped down. I'm not sure. I, I hope he did. Um, that that's probably the wise choice at this point, but, um, but, but to be, to, to, to just have his marriage restored, his family restored, those kinds of things, the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. And, um, and you look at the, the pages of scripture, you look at some of the men that God uses and what their pasts are like, and I mean, look at Paul, he's killing Christians and holding the robes of people killing Christians and look what God does. So uh, this is, it, it wouldn't be the first time that, that God has turned around someone who was quote unquote religious, but perhaps not a Christian, or if he was, uh, he was not living like one. So uh, that, is, that is enough of that. Uh, I just, I, I felt compelled to say something. Uh, let's... Um, Let's talk about this prosperity uh, gospel that is, instead of name it, claim it, it is blame it, claim it. So let's talk about this. Um, oh, there's, there's me. <laughs> so this is uh, a, I'll expand this here. So if you haven't watched my video on slavery and reparations, I did put a lot of time into that. That was March 22nd of 2019, but I would suggest watching that if you're more interested in the topic we're going to talk about. Only a little over a thousand people have watched it. So uh, this was back before I had um, as many subscribers as I do now. But trust me, the content, uh, it, it's, it's good stuff as far as for, for what I do, at least. It's, uh, it's, it's probably a little more than you'd expect. Uh, there's a whole slideshow with it and everything. Um, so I, I want to start this off um, by, by saying first you can go there if you want more. Uh, but the, the discussion has ramped up since I did that video. Uh, here's a recent headline. Uh, Economist proposes slavery reparations up to $12 trillion, equivalent to 800000 per black household, or more than half of the American GDP. And there's a lot of local municipalities and universities that are now trying to do reparations. And so um, there was a, an article that came in my inbox from the American Spectator, someone had sent it to me this week, uh, or last week, I can't remember, but it's actually also from 2019. Uh, the South has already paid reparations. The Southern states have paid the price for losing the Civil War many times over. And it, it's an interesting article. I put, I'll, I put the link in the info section, but it, it's kind of, it's an argument saying that economically, um, the, the war itself has been paid for by that region of the country. Now that's a little bit of a different question than uh, the kind of reparations that I think are being talked about right now. But, um, but, but those who would want to blame one section or region of the country, uh, and uh, at least I don't, I don't know if that's even where people are at now. Maybe in 2019 they, they were. Uh, it, it's a good article, I think, um, to just show maybe some things that, that have not been um, thoroughly discussed yet. And then there's another article I, I just was poking around and found this. Reparations were already paid. Reparations uh, were already paid. It was called the Civil War. And it's just, it just takes you through kind of like what, what was the cost of the Civil War? And then what was the uh, result? And one of the results was that slavery ended. And so, um, so, so th this, this is your reparations kind of thing. Now, 
uh, I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that people are trying to mount some kind of an argument, but I, I don't know if that necessarily addresses directly the issue that you're going to find Eric Mason bringing up here soon. Because the insinuation, the accusation really, is that Americans and white Americans specifically as a group are guilty for the stealing of Africans and, uh, and then everything that's happened since then. So they, they really just say that it was slavery and then, you know, the mass incarceration. And I mean, they, you know, cause I've done the videos now, we go through the whole list of all the things that they claim have stemmed from racism and slavery. And uh, I mean, it gets into everything. It's, it's the kind of diet that uh, people eat in urban areas. It's medical treatment, it's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, education. So, um, so that's kind of the argument that, that Eric Mason makes. And, uh, and so he, he believes in reparations. He wants reparations. He never specifically puts a number on it. He doesn't outline his plan. Most of these guys don't, and they won't. But it's, it's a very an emotionally appealing argument for why we, we, we need to do reparations. And, and so I, I addressed that, most of that, in that previous video that I just showed you uh, a screenshot from. But in this particular um, sermon that I listened to from Eric Mason, uh, he goes over a, a number of biblical passages, and, and I will say that, I mean, this is where Paul David Tripp goes to church, and he's under this preaching. I will say, if this sermon that I listened to is representative of Eric Mason's preaching, I'm shocked at how poor it was. I was expecting some exegesis. I was expecting an exegetical sermon of some kind, or an attempt at that. This wasn't an attempt at an exegetical sermon. This was a whole lot of opinion which really came from mostly new left critiques of American history mixed with a quasi-biblical ethic, which, he, which you don't even find in scripture. He's using the scripture as kind of a, a veneer. Uh, and underneath it is not biblical ethics, it's, it's the Marxist stuff. And it's just so obvious to me when I was listening to the sermon. And so um, I was disappointed in that, and maybe not all his sermons are like that, but, but the thought occurred to me, I'm like, this guy is not, this isn't the same gospel. This is not the same gospel. He uses the term gospel quite a bit, but he wants to connect it to reparations. He wants to connect it to works. And um, I'm sorry, you, 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 don't connect, you don't take those categories and start mixing them. So um, I wanted to play for you. I'm not going to do it just for the sake of time. I was going to play for you a clip of uh, prosperity preaching. I'm just going to describe it, though. Uh, prosperity preaching or name it, claim it type preaching is the kind of preaching that you'll hear when you turn on something like the Trinity Broadcasting Network, perhaps. And you'll see Creflo Dollar or Benny Hinn or T.D. Jakes. And they're uh, sometimes working up a sweat, but they're they're talking about how God wants to bless you. And they'll take passages on real passages on God blessing his people. And they'll say, God wants to bless you. And all you got to do, you just got to give, you got to sow your seed. You got to believe that God's going to bless you. And so they're trying to get you to come to, to God and come to the gospel, come to Christianity for the stuff, the material stuff that you're going to get. And of course we know that that's wrong because that's not the draw card in the Bible. That's not why you come to Christianity. And, and so, um, so this is called the prosperity gospel. And there's been documentaries made about it. You, you have like American gospel, right? Which is a, a documentary that was made about this. And, uh, and I know that's not the only one, but you got guys, their whole ministries like Justin Peters just about is, is about this, this name it, claim it, prosperity gospel stuff. Well, the blame it, claim it, prosperity gospel is what Eric Mason preaches. And it's not any better. And I'm going to put a cap on it and kind of explain it to you at the end, but I want to take you through some clips from Eric Mason. And we're going to talk about it. So uh, buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> Here is clip number one that I want to play for you. Israelites got themselves into captivity because of their idolatry and sin, but look, they still got reparations because of the time they were in. Look what it says. <coughs> it says, let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted Listen to this. By the men of that region with silver, hallelujah, gold, hallelujah, goods, hallelujah, and livestock. I feel God right there. Along with a free will offering. They're talking about stacks. They're giving the people of God drip coming out of there, right? It was dripology. 
coming out of the ministry, right? And so it says here, it's, it's, it's a free will offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. So, 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 so notice the free will offering is for the house of God, but the silver, the gold, the goods, and the livestock are for the people. In other words, this is for the, they knew that when they sent them back to their land that they had nothing. And so it would be unjust to send them back to their land without anything to be able to begin to build their own independent economy. That's what I love about this, is they set them up to build their own independent economy. And so it's because they knew that they were going to need to do that so that they wouldn't be long-term dependent on them. The reason why there have been so many challenges in America is because the, the, the people are talking about welfare and all that. First, our welfare and, 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 and Social Security was created for white people, but uh, and, and we're quote-unquote benefiting off of it. But there's nothing that's been done in this country comprehensively as a system beyond the handout versus a hand up to help there to be economic independence among black people. So, so, so you get the impression from that, I mean, he wants a hand up, right? Uh, instead of a handout. So maybe, maybe he's reading Thomas Sowell. You think maybe he's thinking we should get rid of minimum wage and get rid of welfare and uh, start, uh, uh, I don't know, getting the government out of the, the welfare business and try to get the church back into the charity business. And you know, like they did at the turn of the century, men would chop wood, women would quilt. And then they get their food. I don't know. I don't think he's doing that. I don't think that's that's where he's going here. Um, he wants to use some some passages to forward his idea of reparations, and you could you could hear it in that. He sounds like a prosperity preacher. You know, he's, he's interjecting his amens. You know, uh, with and I'm going to read you the passage here, but you know, they're this is what they were given. They're given the silver. Amen. They're given the gold. Amen. Um, let me ask you if you, this sounds like reparations to you. This is the passage he's reading. This is from Ezra. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, Ezra chapter 1, by the way, verse 1. The first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And, and okay, so do you see reparations in any of that as being the motivation? That be, because they were mistreated somehow, uh, they, they were owed this? Or is the reason in here given that it was to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah and that this was a command of the king of Persia uh, to complete an objective, building God a house in Jerusalem. And this is really his way of taxing you know, to support this project. Um, this, there's nothing in here that would make you think reparations. But... Eric Mason is imposing this on the text. Why is he doing that? Why? Why? Where, where does it say that? He uses the word justice. Where, I don't even see that in here. Word's not there. There's no mishpat. I don't see justice. What are you talking about, Pastor Mason? He, he talks about how the welfare system uh, was you know, created for white people. <laughs> I'd like to see the primary source on that uh, because I, I'm pretty sure that everyone benefited from that. In fact, there's something called affirmative action, which is specifically against white people. It's not for them. Uh, conveniently, he, did, he didn't talk about that. I've actually seen some articles, uh, or I saw an article once, I, and I, something, I, I didn't have time to really search for it, but it was someone who tried to make a calculation uh, of, of reparations and, and say that reparations have been paid because of affirmative action and welfare and these kinds of things. I don't know. I haven't crunched all those numbers and I, I, I don't think you can. And that was part of, if you watch the video I did on reparations, that's part of my point is that there, there's no way to actually do this. The, the, the populations um, that have come here since slavery, the percentage of the population who actually owned slaves, 
but they weren't even the ones who went and got the slaves. And the ones who got the slaves uh, were buying them from tribes in Africa. So it's not, it's, so, so really it, it should be, if you really want to get to the root of it, it should be asking for reparations from the people that reside in the Ivory Coast, uh, at the Ivory Coast, I, I guess, I don't know. Um, in fact, there's, there's, <laughs> I was reading this recently, there's a movie, uh, which I don't re necessarily recommend the movie, it's not historically accurate, but uh, it's called Amistad, and uh, the main character in the movie, who's kind of like the victim, it doesn't show this in the movie, but what actually happened, the postscript, if they made a sequel, was this slave who, uh, who's kind of the hero, or the, he's, you know, he's a main figure in the movie, um, he is kind of a victim, but it, what happens after that story ends is he actually goes back to Africa and he becomes a slave trader himself. I mean, this was, it was a profession in that part of the world. And, and so there's, there's no way you, you had black slave owners in the United States. Uh, you had some white people who came over here as indentured servants. You had white people who were victims of other things and fled because of religious persecution. And there's just, you want to really try to get every single injustice and put it in this calculation machine. You, you would never be able to do it. And that's why I think the wisdom of scripture Wisdom of the Bible is just so much better that what Ezekiel says, the fathers and the sons, right? They don't share, they, they don't, they're not blamed and held accountable for each other's sin. And it just makes so much more sense. And that's why Eric Mason can't put a number on this. No one can. No one can do that calculation. It's impossible. How far back do you want to go? Right? It's, it's impractical. That's not the only reason it's immoral, but that's one of the reasons that, you, you know, this is just an emotional talking point. Uh, there, there's no real, there, you, can't, you can't physically do this. Um, but you certainly don't get reparations from Ezra. And Eric Mason seems to think that you do. And, and so that's a real problem. Now, there's a bunch of clips here. Uh, I haven't even watched, I listened to the whole sermon, but I, this is a guy on Twitter. Uh, who's the guy that post these woke preacher clips so let's uh let's see what this one says here we'll we'll watch a few of these um, i'm going to read you some quotes too because uh, i don't want to go too long on this so here's another one <coughs> exodus 135 it says the israelites I, this is one of my favorite passages on restitution right here i love this joint right here it says the israelites acted on moses's word and ask the Egyptians for silver. So they said, hey, so is it wrong to ask for reparations? I heard a preacher last week say, you shouldn't be asking for nothing. You should just stay in your state that you're in. You shouldn't do it. But, but they said, Moses told them, y'all go ask them for some money. Go ask. Mm -hmm. I ain't prosperity gospel, but, 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 uh, but I do believe, but that doesn't take money out the Bible. It's in there. Amen. <laughs> you do believe the prosperity Amen. gospel. He says, <laughs> go ask for silver and gold items and for clothing hallelujah he want them to look good too look at that they got clothing gear outfits you know what i'm saying fabrics and things right and it says and the lord gave the people such favor with the egyptians that they gave them what they requested now i want to give you i want to let you i'm going to give you something this for free now some people don't believe christians should protest do you know that this reparations was prayed because god initiated Moses and the Israelites to protest Pharaoh and Egypt? How did they protest? <clears throat> Talk about presentism. I mean, you look where he's standing and, and what time period. I mean, what's going on right now? Uh, where is it? Uh, last night, there, there was a big commotion and there's all sorts of protests. I can't even keep track because the protests are going on all the time, everywhere it seems like. And I can't keep track of all the events. But there's protests. I mean, he knows what he's saying. Every, the 10 plagues was protest. When Moses went there and said, let my people go, that was the sign. That was the protesting sign. And so with that in mind, that's beautiful to me that we see that this reparations here in this passage is a, is a direct result, listen, of protest, of a vehement protest where God used the protest and God anointed the protest to break down the leadership, to open their hearts, to do what he called them to do because he turned the hearts of the king wherever he wants to. Don't you think that's extremely confusing for someone who's sitting in that church? I mean, are you, are you endorsing the protests that are going on right now? It sounds like you're creating a connection because you don't find the word protest in your translation of Exodus. Uh, that, that's, that's not the same thing. It's not equivalent to what's going on right now 
in the United States at all. The destruction of property. I mean, he's saying this the night that property is being destroyed. I saw on the news today, it was flashing a... Um, it was a whole uh, uh, used car, or it was car dealership of some kind. The cars are just like on fire and exploding all over the place because of a protest. Uh, if you're going to, I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. The Lord also, I mean, the Lord endorses other things too. He endorses uh, the times when, when you should do violence. But if there's uh, you know violence going on in your context, and you're going to impose, inject violence into a text and make it sound like the kind of violence that's going on around you, you better make sure you're distancing yourself from the lawlessness and the, it's anti-Christian lawlessness that's going on. Eric Mason seems excited by it, and he seems really pumped of all the stuff that were given to the Israelites. I mean, Moses, I guess, was you know, raising, raising his fist, uh, starting the, 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 the protest. A Pharaoh. Let's let's read this a little bit. Let's let's look at this passage too, because he brings up Exodus twelve, right? Just a plain reading of Scripture. We don't have to go that deep here. Start at uh, chapter twelve, um, and where do we want to start here? Let's go to uh, verse thirty. This is right after the firstborn are killed. Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all uh, the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. So this was God doing this. This wasn't children of Israel killing people. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go and bless me also. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we will all be dead. So there's fear. The Egyptians are afraid of these people because of, not because of them, but because of what their God is doing. That's key to all of this. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in cloths on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. So they asked. Yeah, they're, they're not running in there and taking like what's try, what people are trying to do outside of Portland right now. Uh, they're, they're asking for silver and gold. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Hmm. So the Egyptians are giving it because the Lord gave favor so that they uh, let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from, um, so, so it goes into what happened. So yeah, this is the kind of plundering where you didn't burn anything down. You didn't, uh, there, there wasn't even, uh, it wasn't even forced. It was the Lord behind this whole thing the whole time. And it doesn't say in the text it was for reparations. Now, um, th th this certainly helped them get to where they needed to go. There's no doubt about that. But you, gotta, you can't go farther than the text is letting you go. And I, and I do want to note here, real quick, if you keep reading just a few verses down um, on the ordinance of the Passover in the same chapter, go to verse uh, 44, 43, we'll start. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Sounds kind of bigoted of the Lord, right? Uh, but every man's slave, hmm, purchased with money after you have circumcised sin, then he may eat of it. <laughs> a sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. So I, I just, I noticed that when I was reading through this and I was, I was thinking, hmm, that is definitely not inclusive. And well, they're supposed to be being freed from slavery, right? That's the whole point. And then, yeah, a few verses later, God is telling them how to uh, administer Passover to their slaves or, or he's commanding them to do that, which is actually a, a form of mercy that they're included in the covenant. But um, yeah, that that's not not probably something that Eric Mason would would I don't know how he would get around that or talk about that, but we're not we're not seeing the kind of reparations that Eric Mason uh, is talking about. So um, let, let's continue. Let's see what else Eric Mason has to say. Let's see if he can find it in maybe another verse. You know what I like about this is that Jesus in verse nine of Luke nineteen connects Zacchaeus's willingness to pay reparations 
as a sign that he had been changed by the gospel. How many of you watching under the sound of my voice saying that racism doesn't exist? How many of you under the sound of my voice talking about uh, I don't, I, it wasn't me and I don't need to pay reparations, all of this type of stuff? If, if you're under the sound of my voice and you're resisting restitution for black people because of what's happened into this country, you may want to check your, your, your justification uh, uh, monitor. I know because some of y'all call me a heretic because I deal with racial injustice. Well, I'm still preaching the gospel. Matter of fact, we hit the block out here. We preach the why gospel. You're a heretic. See people come to spiritual death and spiritual life. So, this, so, however, we believe that the gospel has outworkings that impact the way we relate to one another, God and one another. So, see how he connects it to the gospel. There, um, there's the law of God. Listen, the law of God applies whether you believe the gospel or not. Now, there are certain things, when, once you become a Christian, uh, within the context of the church, and uh, there, there's a new expectation that uh, you have to use your spiritual gifts and that kind of thing. You have a new capacity that you did not have before. But the, 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 law, the basic law of God, in a civil sense, that, that applies to Christians and non-Christians alike. They're both expected to meet that qualifications, uh, the, those, that standard. And uh, it's not an outworking of the gospel. It's part of the character of God. And someone who believes the gospel should want to follow God's law. Sure, the motive has changed. It's not for fear as much as it is because you love God. <laughs> but Eric Mason's conflating these things. Uh, and so in the, in the same clip, he's saying, you call me a heretic because I talk about racial justice. That's like what Tim Keller said. You know, you call me a Marxist because I talk about poverty. No. Nope, that has nothing to do with why you're called a Marxist by some people. Nothing to do with why Eric Mason's called a heretic. You can tell yourself that, but it's because you're conflating categories of law and grace. That's really the main reason. There's other reasons too, with, with, depending on the person we're talking about. But let's read Luke 19. See if uh, this passage, you know, the other two passages didn't give Eric Mason the justification he needed. This is the only other passage I believe he brought up uh, as I listened to it. This was the passage, by the way, he was preaching out of. Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus. Um, so Jesus came and Zacchaeus, and he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Verse 6, and he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When he saw it, they all began to grumble, saying he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Hmm. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or any uh, of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus came, uh, said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So Zacchaeus had a heart change immediately. He went from this tax collector who's ripping people off, and now he wants to give to the poor. And notice in verse 8 what he says here. Um, he says, you know, Lord, and, and this is, you know, this is, um, this is Jesus coming over to his house. And you can tell there's probably a sense of unworthiness there, but, you know, Jesus, you know, I want you to know, I, this, this is, this is my heart now. Um, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Give. It's not a reparations. It's just giving. It's charity, right? He's going to give them to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, oh, separate category. If I have defrauded anyone or of anything, I will give back four times as much. That's his personal choice. He's not even required to do that. But he wants to show his heart that he, he is going to make it right. Now, uh, in this context, he's talking about himself defrauding other people. Not a group of people that happened to share a skin tone with another group of people that had a similar skin tone defrauding a uh, supposedly a, a group of people that share a skin tone to a modern group of people. That's, that's not even close to what's going on here. He's not, um, he, you know, Jesus doesn't have Romans coming to him and saying, I'm just going to give up everything to the Jews because of what my people have done here. You don't see that. You don't see it commanded. You don't see it happen. Um, you don't see, I mean, any of the, the cross-cultural uh, pa passages, the Good Samaritan, the woman at the well, 
you, you don't see anything like that. Uh, even, you know, the Good Samaritan, uh, some of the social justice preachers want to use that one. But really, the Good Samaritan is about charity. Uh, it's, it's not about, well, my group, my people did this, and so therefore I have to do this. I'm compelled because it's justice. That, you don't see that. Anyway, uh, so Eric, Eric Mason fails again. That passage uh, does not teach what he says it's teaching. So let's, let, there's a few more clips here. Um, uh, this, Eric Mason's thoughts on Philadelphia real estate. I'd rather not. <laughs> Psychological reparations. You need to pay for counseling for us. We need help. Yeah, I, I did hear that clip when I was going through it, and I'm not going to play it just for the sake of time. Um, another clip. Uh, <laughs> descendants of slaves not paying for college for 200 years and canceling every black person's student loan debt and repaying blacks who paid for student loans. So that's part of his, his dreams here of what needs to happen. I'll tell you, if you really want to wreck the black community or any community, any demographic, do that. Do that. Uh, just make it easy, make them expect it, give them entitlement, they don't have to work for anything, that, that's, it'll ruin them. That's actually a cruel thing to do, to be honest with you. Reparations in telling the history properly. In other words, so, so here's, here's where the, the narrative history has to change. One of the reparations that will be helpful for this country is for it telling the real American story. That's huge reparations if you, because people won't look crazy when we bring up our racial past. Look, this has already happened. This is, look, I, I'm familiar enough with the historical field to know pretty much every major historian now, it, just about, the, all the up-and-coming historians at Ivy League schools, etc. they are, they're woke, man. They're woke. And so, um, so this is already happening. And calling that a reparation, I mean, this is, what is this, like a Foucault-driven uh, kind of, you know, because you have to now... Um, repay i don't know you have to let them tell their story and that's part of truth is power and power is money i don't know i mean it, this isn't we're getting so far away from any biblical understanding of restitution which is biblical that uh he says um i'm not saying reparations is going to bring peace on earth jesus will bring peace on earth however while we're on earth we got to make m most of our time make the most of our uh then he trails off to whom was given more more will be given to him so, I don't know. I don't know how we get to uh, to, to this. And, and apparently this is, to, I, I don't know how we can categorize this as anything but a prosperity gospel. And Dr. Eric Mason says, I stand on everything. No matter what I say on justice, from the slightest thing to what some see as tough, all receive the same response as it relates to oppressors, uh, to oh, opposers. But for the most part, there is affirmation or encouragement. If I responded to everything, nothing would get done. So he's saying he stands by this sermon, and, and that's that. So I wanted to, uh, to, to go over a few of the notes real quick that I took when I was just listening to this earlier today. A few things that stood out to me. Um, he calls reparations the outworking of salvation. So then you, again... Uh, <sighs> This is really problematic language. Uh, you can try to say it's part of the law, but as we've just seen, the three passages that he brought up doesn't come close to even justifying the kind of reparations he's trying to forward here. But, but to, to claim that it's the outworking of salvation, um, he says that uh, correcting sins is the fruit of conversion, and reparations is part of correcting sins. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, this is a ministry of, if it's really a ministry of justice, that should be something that, uh, like real justice, um, it could be, I mean, because we are, as Christians, we're supposed to be following the law. We're supposed to be, uh, treating everyone in an equitable fashion, not the modern reinterpretation of equity, but, uh, equality before the law, but it doesn't have to be. He also says um, that Zacchaeus is trying to show people who have a negative view of him that he's authentically uh, converted. You don't see that motivation in the passage. He just makes it up. And this goes back to, I hear this all the time, that if Christians get on board with social justice, the world's going to see us. The world's going to know that we're with them and it's going to give us, they're going to want to be Christians now. It's not true. And, and you don't find that in this passage. He says blacks have been extorted. 
And uh, and then so this is actually this is funny to me as I listen to it. He goes, he says, we've been extorted. Blacks have been extorted in this country. And he and then he has to go and explain what sharecropping was to his audience because because they may not know. So he this is this is part of the 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 crack in this narrative. You have to convince your audience that they're oppressed. It's something conditioned. You have to condition them into it for them to believe it. So you have to educate them on what sharecropping was. And as he was describing it, I'm like, yeah, you know, my ancestors on my dad's side who come from extreme poverty in the deep South, uh, they were, they weren't black and they also had to do sharecropping and they did sharecropping with black people. And I mean, it was out in the country there. It was, I mean, things weren't as segregated as urban areas. They, it was, you're, you're trying to fight for your next meal. And, um, and so, uh, does that mean that I'm oppressed too and I need reparations? Because my ancestors were part of sharecropping, but I, I know about that. His audience, apparently, they, they all didn't know about that. So they had to be told that they were, had been oppressed because of what happened to their ancestors. You can't make this up. Uh, he even says that he starts to say African-Americans at, what point, at one point, and then he says, well, Africans, actually. You know, he, he corrects himself. And, and this just goes to show you, you know, are we supposed to do that with Chinese, Irish, Japanese, uh, German? Like where... Any group that came to the United States, they just retain wherever they came from. One of the things that I wish was it was in those woke sermon clips, because this was one of the most interesting things he said. He goes, what would he says, this is what reparations is, right? Reparations is asking yourself the question. And this is the quote, what would their life have been without my interference? Right. So and, and of course, my means the whole group of white people going back hundreds of years. So what would have been it been like for blacks without my white person's interference? The answer to that question is they would have been in Africa somewhere, right? Sub sub-Saharan Africa, maybe along the Ivory Coast somewhere. Or maybe they would have been sold to Muslim slave traders, and they would have been in the Middle East and they would have died there. It's it's it <laughs> I don't know why he asked this question because the answer to it is obviously in probably a banana republic uh, or some kind of really not so good situation. Instead, they're in one of the freest, most prosperous countries in the world. So if that's your standard, Eric Mason, for reparations, what would their life have been without my interference? Then you you just made a great argument for um, if, if this is the way you think about it, white people should be owed something. I don't believe that for a second, but you're setting the argument up that way, whether you realize it or not. So, so, so tabulate what the average income is in, in whatever. Take your richest African country and then tabulate your poorest state in the United States and, and then com- compare the two. And then, you, you know, I, I mean, uh, that, was, that, that one probably should be kept in your back pocket. Um, he says... Um, Ezra, so Ezra 1, he uses Ezra 1, and I already went over that, but I, I wanted to point out one more thing I noted, that uh, Ezra is descriptive, not prescriptive. In fact, every text he brought up was descriptive. It's telling a story. It's a narrative. It's not God commanding you to do reparations. He acts like it's all prescriptive. And he says, because there's poverty, it's proof there hasn't been restitution. So because there's a uh, disparity between certain ethnic groups, it means there must not have been restitution. Well, that's, that's terrible. Uh, that, so if a rich son squanders all his father's money, his father never gave him anything. I mean, that's the kind of logic. That, that, that makes no sense. Um, he calls uh, this gospel-centered principles, rep- reparations. He says, I'm still teaching the gospel. Reparations fit into the gospel is a quote of his. Uh, so very us versus them language, very, um, I would say, hateful rhetoric uh, towards one class of people. And it, it, this has no place in the pulpit. This has no place in the church. This is terrible exegesis. The only thing that it seems like is worse than the exegesis is his, his understanding of history his one-sided narrative. And, and, and what does it actually produce in the long run? What, what are you supposed to walk away from? Encouragement that, wow, you know, amazement at what the Lord has done for you. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to be about the gospel, right? Isn't, shouldn't, shouldn't you have a conviction of sin and then a, an amazement and, a, and a, just a, a, a gratitude to God for what he did? You don't sense any of that from this message. Go listen to it. 
it just stirs up anger and strife. Guys, I I don't know what to tell you other than um, we have some people claiming to be evangelicals that are saying things that sound an awful lot like false teachers. And this is the blame it, claim it gospel. If he wants to attach this to the gospel so much, he is blaming a group of people and then claiming their stuff. It, it all belongs to us. We need psychological or not, what does he say, counseling services and education paid for for 200 years and um, and money and just give us, we need, you know, gold, amen. And we need silver, amen. And we need, you know, all this stuff. And this is what the gospel teaches. And you get it from those people over there because they took it from us. Where would we have been if it wasn't for them? This is hateful stuff. This isn't the kind of, this isn't the, 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 the communion table and, and the kind of bond that we're supposed to have as Christians. Serious stuff, guys, uh, but that's what's being preached out there, and it's going more and more mainstream evangelicalism, and it is the off-ramp into the world. It won't be evangelical for long if we go at this pace. So on that depressing note, um, <laughs> and now we've gone, I think, over an hour for my short episode. That's uh, that's how it works with me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that, and um, I will be trying to put a few other things out this week if possible, and uh, maybe some shorter ones. We'll see. We'll see if I can rein it in. Uh, but God bless you all, and thank you for your continued support. And um, uh, I feel like I should say something positive before I close <laughs> uh, the, the show. I will say one thing positive. Um, so I, I have been greatly encouraged by some of your messages, and, uh, and there are a number of guys on the layman level who are really starting to fight this. And uh, you're producing stuff, and I'm seeing, I think this fall you're going to see a bunch more resources come out on this. But, but keep fighting. Keep fighting. Um, even if it means that, that you have to uh, leave your church eventually or there's going to be a church split, uh, fight for the truth. Do it in the most respectful way you, you, you possibly can. But, but make sure that, um, that you're letting the truth get out there and you're not just sitting by and, and letting lies take hold. And, uh, and, and, and I think the Lord will bless that. The Lord, look, the Holy Spirit hasn't gone away. And that is an encouragement that we need to we need to cling to that in these times. That there really is a true church. There really is a real Holy Spirit. There really is a God who says that He's going to take care of us. Uh, he does exist, and and He He is close. He's close to each of us. He's close to each of us. Um, and if we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. We have that promise. And, uh, and so as, as believers, I just want to encourage you with that word. Don't give up hope. There's still many who have not bowed to Baal. There's still many who are still trying to figure this whole thing out. Be part of the solution. Be part of educating. Be part of comparing this false gospel with the true gospel. Um, parents with your kids, you know, teach them. Teach them to love people. Not like what Eric Mason just did. Teach them to love people who are different from them. Uh, I mean, it's weird. You know, I'm the one that's not supposed to say that in the woke people's minds, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not supposed to like diversity, but I love it because that's, that's, that's what the church of God is. Even if you live in an area that everyone's the same culture and everything, that's great. There's a lot of variance with people in the same culture because everyone's got different abilities, right? For the woke guys, they just see culture and they see race. You know, I, there's so many other issues. There's people with different diseases. There's people with different personalities. There's people with different interests. There's people that um, are shorter and, and taller and have different professions and like different foods. And um, I, the, the list goes on and on. And it, God's the one that sets up the boundaries and, and of the peoples. Just love the people where you're at. It, it's I've said this before, but it's hard. If your kids know a rich white guy and he's the one that discipled them and loves them and cares for them and he goes to the same church it's hard for them to hate that guy and if they know a, a poor black person or a rich black person or a poor white guy or whoever right uh, it's hard for them to start hating that demographic when they can look and say oh yeah you know that's just you know that 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 person uh that, that i know who's in this quote-unquote social category I'm hearing about now in college, well, you know, they were the ones that uh, prayed for me when I was going through a hard time. And, and that's the beauty of the church. That's the communion table, guys. That's, that's what I grew up knowing about. And, um, 
and I'm sad, guys. I'm sad to see people like Eric Mason ripping apart the, the community of God like this. And that is exactly what he's doing. Make no mistake about it. So reject the blame it, claim it gospel. Embrace the true gospel of his grace for sinners, which is the only equality. Well, <laughs> we're all equally in the image of God as well, but it's, it is another type of equality that we all have. We're equally guilty before a holy and just God, yet he has been so faithful in providing Jesus Christ to forgive us for our sins because of what he did in taking the justice and the wrath of God. Simple as that, guys. So go and spread that message. It's a, it's a much better message. It's a, it'll make you much happier. I guarantee that. So, God bless. Have a good day. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.